Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast episode covers fixed assets post-tax reform and how taxpayers can optimize their tax positions. The panelists for this webcast are Brad White, a PwC tax partner and leader of our accounting methods and fixed assets practice, as well as Nina O'Connor, Tom Dunn, and Ann Andrews, all partners with our accounting methods and fixed assets practice. Take a listen. Hi there, this is Brad again. Having a great conversation with a fellow partner today around fixed assets. I wanted to share it with you. So Nina, I'd love to know what you're having conversations with your clients about today, post-tax reform. Yeah, I'm going to say fixed assets. I feel like I was a backup singer and now I'm a lead singer. They're so (laughs) focused on getting a handle because of all the different aspects of tax reform and how it relates to fixed assets getting the visibility into the detail, making sure they're optimizing their tax positions, making sure that they're able to take advantage of all the new tax laws. I'm going to say fixed assets, top dog. Being on the West Coast, I get to be a lead singer too, since you're the East Coast lead singer. But (laughs) (laughs) um, absolutely, Brad, the the amount of discussion around fixed assets, because it's touching so many things, it's crazy. The new um, tax law just put fixed assets in the forefront of you know, guilty calculations and interest deductions and, and uh, FDII deductions and, and um, you know, there's, there's so many different aspects of it. There's, there's this brief window of opportunity that people are looking at and trying to decide whether from a practical perspective they have enough time to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that window is an, is an effort to, you know, to try to accelerate tax depreciation deductions into 2017. And, you know, you would think that that shouldn't be such a big deal, but trying to get your arms around your assets is, can be a pretty difficult and challenging thing. So that's one of the things I've been talking about with my clients. I, I want to dig in a little bit to the lead singer versus backup <laughs> singer. And, and I think naturally the lead singer, to me, resonates with companies that are focused on accelerating deductions today mm-hmm. in a higher tax yeah. rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get maybe Tom's perspective on... Um, some of the systems issues that clients are facing now because of tax reform. Clearly, it makes sense. I want to accelerate a deduction today. Mm-hmm. What I find is sometimes my clients have a difficulty because of the quality and the integrity of the data that they have. Yeah, I mean, some there's been a lot of planning that has just not happened because of dealing with what, the results of it. Like, how am I going to put it back in? What is this going to cause me? How much time am I going to have to spend doing it? So there's always been that angle of it. The you know, I think you've kind of heard it here, but Tax reform, everybody I think was hoping full expensing life is going to be really easy. <laughs> and the exact opposite is true. I mean, we ended up with a lot more complexity around bonus depreciation, states doing things, and then all of these new calculations that weren't relying on fixed assets. We had EMP, but that was really it. Now we need this ADS book for all of our assets worldwide, and nobody's really been thinking through on all that. It's, it's so funny, too, because, yeah, yeah, well, I was just going to say, you know, to your point, Tom, I had, I had so many of my clients calling me prior to tax reform as we were starting to see what was going to unfold with this 100% expensing. And for some of you who know me, I, I also dabble a bit in Section 199, so I was losing that. And they said, so what are you going to do after you're unemployed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're the same folks that are now calling me, asking <laughs> me to talk with them about fixed assets and, and, you know, how to think through some of the state decoupling issues, mm-hmm. how to think through through the FDII calculation, the guilty calculation, how to get the benefit of this tax rate arbitrage. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'd, I'd like to ask you one question. Um, maybe 
compare and contrast guilty and FDII and how fixed assets plays into those computations, those new computations. Sure, so mm -hmm. let's start with guilty and FDII are calculations that are far more complex than just thinking about yeah. your fixed assets. So there's a number of elements to those formulas that I'm not gonna speak to. Thank you. Um, but, but one of the levers in both of those calculations deals with uh, a computation for your qualified business asset investment. The difference, and this is a fundamental difference, mm -hmm. is that on the guilty side of the calculation, you're really looking at your CIC's qualified investment, uh, business asset investment. So that means that it's your foreign assets, it's your CFC's investment in their assets that are overseas. And that's the piece that probably people don't have access to the data today exactly. and they've just been using book forever, right? That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the key reasons why you want to have that accurate, mm -hmm. though not necessarily accelerated, in fact, probably not accelerated. But the reason you want to have that act, uh, accurate is because the higher that number is, the lower the amount of income that will be, um, that will be taxed under the guilty regime, mm -hmm. okay? On FDII, there is also this, this complex calculation that includes one of, the, one of the elements in the formula is the qualified business asset investment. But in this particular case, that is the, the U.S. company's qualified business asset investment. So you're looking at your U.S. assets. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, FDII is, um, excuse, is, a, is a deduction that you're able to take, take against your U.S. taxable income. And so you want that to be as high as possible. And as a result, you want your U.S. qualified business asset investment to be as low as possible. And, it's, and basically that QBAI is calculated as, as what your basis is in your U.S. assets. So guilty, high, you want, you want your asset investment to be high. FDII, you want your asset investment to be low. Guilty foreign, FDII, U.S. Fantastic. And, yeah. very, very detailed, thank you. <laughs> Switching gears just a little bit, Nina, sure. wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not you felt cost segregation was still relevant for our clients and taxpayers going forward post-reform. Absolutely. Probably more important than it's ever been in the past. Mm -hmm. um, clearly... As Anne mentioned, the permanent tax arbitrage difference accelerating as much as you possibly can in 2017, you get to go back to as far back as you have tax basis in order to make that determination. So you're going to want to do a fixed asset historical study, making sure you're maximizing your 1245 property, um, and then accumulating that total benefit in a 41A, and you get to file that with your 3115 on the extended due date of your tax return this year, which would be October 15th. Um, so, so very important from a historical perspective to take advantage of the permanent difference. Um, but on a go-forward basis, again, not everything's expensable. So 1250 mm -hmm. property is still not bonusable. So you're going to want to make sure, and that's going to be stuck at 39 years and mm -hmm. very, very slow depreciation. So as much as you can segregate that 1250 mm -hmm. property into 1245 property um, is going to be a significant advantage in terms of taking bonus depreciation. Thanks, Tina. Tom, a question for you. Thinking about tax reform and the expectation of, of many companies having access to funds that they previously didn't, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's bringing funds back into the U.S. and making investments in the U.S., specifically making investments in, in ERP systems or upgrades to ERP systems, I'd like to get your thoughts around generally um, what you see in terms of ERP systems, traditional capabilities, and areas that our clients need to be considering in addition to. 
Yeah, I mean, Brad, great, great question. Nobody, I mean, across the board, people aren't happy with where their process is as it relates to tax depreciation. You know, how, how long it takes them to do it, what they have to, the gyrations, the thought process, and then just the compliance piece. So I think it's great that we're at a point in time where hopefully there is some investment dollars. Maybe it's from some of the permanent benefits. Maybe it's because just tax reform in general. But people want to take in and look and try to improve those processes. You know, maybe with something that's going on with SAP and the new version of HANA where there's a little additional capabilities, but for the most part, it, it's there's still just not a lot out there. The other thing you got to kind of think through under the guise of tax reform, while it's great in what Ian just talked about with the rate arbitrage and being able to create a permanent benefit, it's also going to have the opposite effect. If you go under audit and they make adjustments and they do push it back, then now you're going to be paying at that higher rate. So there's actually going to, the opposite occurs if you get something wrong and they push it backwards on you. What else would you guys like to talk about? <laughs> oh, what are your what are your friends out there? What are they talking about? Uh, well, what so your one clients? actually actually one of the things that my clients are talking about quite a bit is is you know I keep saying, guys, you have this window, you have this window, you got to do this rate arbitrage, mm -hmm. and their response is, I don't have that data, I can't get that data, or you know, so so I would say you know Tom, we've probably had more conversations around TDS than I've ever had in. You know, well, I guess we've had TDS for what fifteen years now, but, but in in yep. all of that time, I've never had so many people interested at the same time thinking about really how to get much more visibility into their fixed assets. Yeah, I mean, r reform just made things harder. People are asked to do more with less every day. Some places you can't even fill your requisitions. Yeah, and how odd, right? Because <laughs> how odd because you get a hundred percent expensing. It's supposed to be easier, right? right? But, yep. So that that's definitely a big one, right? So we're doing a we're doing a lot of those kinds of conversations. The other thing that I'm having a lot of conversations with clients about is foreign depreciation, foreign statutory mm -hmm. depreciation. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a big one. Yep. Um, you know, people are really interested in trying to figure out how to simplify their worldwide depreciation process, which is something that we're mm -hmm. working on right now. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, particularly now that they're having. Before, they were kind of able to ignore what was going on out there. They were following book. But now that they're really needing to be tracking that depreciation, their statutory has also been a foreign statutory has also been a problem. I think they're saying, well, if I'm going to be in there and I'm going to doing part of it, why don't I just do it all and try to simplify everything? Yeah. So I, I think that's really exciting because that's yeah. a whole nother, a lot of different areas to be focusing on. Yeah. So TDS is a, is a PWC service offering, but it's a, it's a co-sourcing. Mm -hmm. And what right. we've seen is that to be the most effective way to be able to manage this type of law change, these type of adjustments, this volume of data right. mm -hmm. that our clients have. Tell us a little about the co-sourcing. Yeah, I, I mean, what I like to say is, we're, PwC, we're gonna take on the pieces you don't wanna do, and we're gonna leave you with the parts where there's a lot of value. So what's that, what elections do you wanna make? What type of planning's out there? You know, making sure that you're really comfortable with where your deferred sits. So, because we're going to give you something to justify it, you can make sure that when you rolled those M's for the year, that you really can you can uh, certify that it's correct. So, uh, on the piece, but nobody's having to deal with the the hours of just churning data, understanding data, understanding all of the tax law changes, the state impact. That's the piece that really is kind of compliance. Is few people, I guess, we're some of the few that want to do it, 
But uh, right. that's certainly, you don't find a whole lot of folks that that's what they want to do. And I'm going to say forecasting. Forecasting has just, been, see, we're thinking yeah, the same I know. Thing. And, but, uh, yeah. well, both ends, yeah. right? Both, yeah. both the forecasting as well as the yeah. input, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's been the other piece, too, is that is that a lot more of our companies, actually a lot of our companies that are already using our TDS mm -hmm. system, we're starting to work now with, you know, we've always been able to upload the changes. That's been one of the beauties of TDS is that it is, it's, you know, it's an agile system where we can go ahead and make tax-only changes associated with things that maybe are being cost-tagged on a historical basis, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've, we've put together, we've used some tools, we're using Alteryx, we're using a number of things to be able to get that stuff in in a pretty efficient way. But we're looking at making it even more seamless, right? Yep. Being able to take, being mm -hmm. able to take what is going on in the company and actually, actually automatically integrating that into TDS, so that if, for example, you have um, construction in progress, that we can take a look at that as it's happening and as it's coming into TDS, that it's already cost segregated, right? That mm -hmm. sort of thing. On the back end of it, so to speak, the the forecasting piece of it, because companies, as a general matter, do have some insight into what they're going to do. The tax department might not, but the company does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. I think you said something that really resonated with me. Historically, if I think about the clients that I've done cost segregation work for, the challenge always was, or the first question was, how do I get this into my right. ERP system? Mm -hmm. Right. And when we did many of them, it became even more complex. Right. It effectively became a full-time job for someone to manually update their ERP system. Heaven we, we, forbid you stat sample something. I don't even want to go. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. But but then I and I think to the future in a post-tax reform environment where cost segregations matter more, mm -hmm. and maybe even at a smaller level, where companies are doing more fixed assets. And you mentioned something about the ability to get that information seamlessly input into TDS on mm -hmm. an automatic way. I think that's critically important. Now, to be clear, yeah. we're working on it, right? Yes. We're working on it. And obviously, yeah. it really matters. It's very dependent upon what a company is doing, mm -hmm. right? What, how they're tracking their CIP. So that's, that, that's a very, very important piece of it. Um, but we're just starting to work with a couple of companies right now in looking at what it is that they're doing and how we can integrate that into, into TDS. So. And here's the question and concern I get all the time when we do a fixed, ha fixed asset historical study. Great, I mean, this big bang, supercharged now because we've got mm -hmm. the permanent difference, right. but how do I sustain that in my system going forward? You know, mm -hmm. how do I keep tracking right. this? And quite right. frankly, if you make a repairs, accounting method change, you're required to follow that method going mm -hmm. forward. Right. How do I do that? So again, having a system that is flexible, adaptable, that you're going to be able to make those changes within the system and sustain it on a go-forward basis is huge. Now, one thing that I will say, sort of kind of combining the, the comments that you're, that you're both making, Brad and Nina, is that, is that in TDS, we absolutely upload that information, right? Like that, that, that is something that is, that is maintained in the system mm -hmm. because we make those tax-only changes to the information in the TDS system. Um, and, and while it's not completely manual, it's also not completely integrated. Right, so that's that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. sort of the difference that mm -hmm. I was talking about. Is we we're certainly using technology tools to get that information into the TDS system. The TDS system then does track that stuff through its life, through its disposal or retirement, yep. whatever that's going to be. Right, um, but but we're looking at ways to improve that as well. Mm -hmm. And we keep saying, you know, the TDS system, and and we have a really cool tool. But a lot of what what I think the real value comes out in is that there's there's so much out there and the change with it from a tax law perspective, state, federally, and even I guess now national provisions, having 
somebody focused on that and thinking through it and saying, how's it going to affect our data? How are we going to implement this? When you're not lift, having to do that yourself, I think there's just an entire set of, of you know, leverage that companies are really looking for today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.